After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Everybody, welcome back to Mind Rolling. Raghu, I am back here with David Harshada. Harshad. We're just getting the pronunciation correct after all these years, Wagner. And uh, we're also saying uh, that uh, it's been quite a while since we've done a podcast together. And mm. uh, But at the same time, we're living in the same town, so we do see each other, although it's sparing now because of COVID. Uh and in reality, I could be in Russia and he could be in you know, Estonia, maybe. I'm <laughs> thinking of them. So, yeah. Eddie, welcome, David. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we haven't been together in a while. It's like, okay, what have you been up to? <laughs> I know. What are I you know. doing in the midst of the pandemic, quarantine, non-quarantine, back yeah. to quarantine, vaccines, all of it. Yeah. Have you had COVID? We actually all had it. Oh, yeah. Um, that's right. Rachel told me that. Wow. Yeah. Adriana and I and both kids had it. Um, we went back to New York and I think we got it there. Um, so we went through that little bit of odyssey. Luckily, we both had mild sy symptoms oh, and the kids great. basically had no symptoms. Wow. Um, but yeah, I'm teaching a lot. I'm not traveling, which is very different. You know, before COVID, I was on a plane somewhere at least once a month. Um, so taking that out of the, the thing, I'm, I'm painting, I'm making art, I'm teaching a lot, I'm working on a new book. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I'm in a way, I don't like to use the word busy, but the tempo of my work is very uh, up tempo <laughs> these days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing the potential grace that does come from not uh, floundering in the habitual patterns that we have been used to. Yeah for so long and then you, you're able to take yeah. a look at that and go wow that's interesting yeah. and then you, you clearly see the uh, escape me mechanisms it's funny yeah. I, I i just to <laughs> it's so dumb but i'm going to share it because i already have shared it but um i did a podcast quite some time ago uh with um a psychologist from Canada, psychiatrist who's also an expert at addiction, 
and uh, whose name is escaping me this moment, but uh, you guys are going to find it and put it up in the show notes, and I'll, I'm sure I'll remember. Oh, probably a Gabar Mate. Uh, yeah, see? What would I do without you? <laughs> An embarrassing moment. Senior moment. Uh, yeah, so basically he said, you know, talking addiction, addiction isn't, I mean, obviously – Heroin and cocaine and alcohol are major addictions where you, you the detox on on all of them is horrible. Mm. But there's another addiction he was he said what we're talking about everybody's got it. It's addiction mm. to sex, it's addiction to uh, um, workaholics, all the way down to that. Whatever and we all know, we've all got them. And and he talked about how they stemmed from childhood, from the causes and conditions through parental care, through uh, school, through teachers, and, and so on and so forth, and what you came in through karmically. And so he said, uh, do you recall what yours was? <laughs> I'm being therapized now in a podcast, <laughs> right? So I said, um, well, yeah, no, I had a, a, a father that was a, a bit of a tyrant and a bit of is not is an understatement. So mm. I said, the thing that would allow me to release out of that fear that I used to have about getting screamed at and whatever was football. So mm. what happened, you know, I played football, I watched football and it got so ingrained that the actual, just seeing the green carpet on television is like, ah, oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's so I told him this and he said, yeah, absolutely. You were just, mm. you know, that was your defense mechanism and, and created an addiction. I mean, even today, I, the Super Bowl was awful, but still I did watch it. Uh, so the way in which we can find that outlet to be comfortable and not mm -hmm. defensive uh, is uh, addictions, small and large, right? Yeah, which, you know what mine is. Yeah, I was going to cop show cop shows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love I love even like really bad network cop shows. There's something about you know thirty forty minutes and these cases come and the cases get solved and. You know, people are kicking in doors and catching the bad guys and and all of that. And there's something about that that's very regulating for my nervous system. <laughs> After I've spent my whole day meditating and yeah, right. teaching meditation and, you know, teaching the scriptures, I like to go and watch cops kick down doors. Yes, perfect. That's just perfect. <laughs> uh, and your father's not a policeman. I No, no, no. Quite the opposite. <laughs> that's great. Oh boy, oh boy. So yeah. So we're getting a chance, no, to look at all yeah. of this stuff at this yeah. time. It's it's almost a year now. And it's pretty extraordinary. And I brought this up a million times, so people are sick of hearing me say it, but Ooh. I found this thing uh, somebody uh, had in in a blog that was um it was a phrase translated from ancient Chinese about these kinds of uncertain, chaotic times. It's and mm. it's called um, um, uh, terrifying. Isn't the right word? 
um, dangerous, mm. I would say dangerously terrifying opportunity. Mm. But dangerous opportunity was the way. But uh, mm. uh, in some ways, it, there has been so much terror. Uh, the the mm -hmm. thing that went on in, in, at the Capitol uh, mm. a month ago and what's going on right now mm. with the politically and so on and the divide in the country is, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, so dangerous and sometimes pretty scary, but still yeah. an opportunity. And I guess that's what I like to, to focus on with all of yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the uncertainty, you know, there's only, you know, we're wired to need a certain amount of uncertainty or else we get bored. But if we have too much uncertainty, then, you know, it's very uh, dysregulating. And that has been the, the main predominant thing, especially in this past year is the whole Trump regime kind of crescendoed and the election and COVID and cyber hacking and all of these things, you know, it's yeah. like this ever increasing, it's like, welcome to the age of Aquarius. You know, we thought it was going to be like hippies and, you know, dancing naked. And it's, it's, not, <laughs> yeah, not. it's like drowning in a swarm of, of, yeah. of megapixels and, and, you know, cyber, cyber attacks. <laughs> yeah, really, really. It's uh, yeah. The Aquarian age. <laughs> which which makes me think of uh, growing up in in the 70s you know i mean as uh, as all of this burgeoned late 60s and 70s when i was a kid and grew into it and uh fortunate to spend so much time in india uh, fairly quickly with with uh, an incredible being to say the least and uh, but everything that was going on back then everything that uh was being espoused which now uh, is basically a lot of people are in denial that it even happened, you know. I mean, the one great thing that's happening is around psychedelics and the mm. way that they're now being used in, in, in therapeutic manner mm. is uh, really quite extraordinary. And so, but there is uh, a through line from that period mm. to now, I feel. And, yeah, um, you know, obviously psychedelics. I mean, we get so much response from people. Be Here Now still a popular uh, book, you know, it's the 50th anniversary this year of it. And we get so much feedback and that's a big part of it. But the other part of it, which is what you and I have been talking about outside of any podcast is uh, Seva and mm. uh, um, how that can... Uh, I like to think that it's really a... Um, Seva is not about doing something so for someone else alone it's not mm. a void it's a mm. everybody is part we are interconnected mm. Mm. and and the doing of whatever it is that we are doing extricates ourselves so beautifully from the mm. as we as i've been calling it the movie of me as mm. krishna has coined it actually so mm. uh i uh, you know and that's some of the stuff that we've been talking about and i i wouldn't mind you I mean, again, to uh, to to quote Ramdas from the movie Becoming Nobody, at one point, which to me is my favorite part. I mean, Becoming Nobody, meaning uh, there's complexity to that, and uh, mm. very rarely do you meet a being that has actually. Um, has conquered the war inside of any mm. kind of duality. 
So, but at the very least, you get to the point where you realize, wow, I, I there is, as Ramdas says in the movie, what, how long will you keep going on about what do I need? What do mm. I want? It's way more mm. interesting when you start to think outside of yourself and do, and mm. do, do, do real service. And yeah. uh, so it, it, that is such an enhancement of uh, cutting through and transforming this mm. selfness, right? Mm. That uh, it, 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 the actions are reverberate from mm. he who is serving and who he or she who is being served. Talk mm. about, but uh, I'm talking to somebody yeah. who just picked up uh, a pot and uh, mixed up some food <laughs> and just did it. And it was, just talk about that experience a little bit. Well, yeah. And and just to, to piggyback off what you're talking about also, I was just talking about this in one of my trainings that, um, you know, if we have the, the great fortune of meeting these like deeply realized beings, sometimes we lose track of how important our middle attainments are, you know, in between being completely lost and being completely awake, you know, and that I was describing it that, you know, for many of us it, it, with cultivation, you know, with sadhana, with years of sadhana, in many cases, we at least get to the point where we're like a tea bag, you know, kind of going in, and coming out, it's not mm. that we never are nobody. You experience being nobody Who, for a minute, for a <laughs> while, and then all of a sudden we're somebody again. Yeah. And then you know, Rob Das talks about it in Be Here Now, where he has that uh, that thing of like lovers, you know, that just like melt into each other's arms, and then you pull the face back and you look at each other and you're like, oh yeah, you know, like that. We come in and out of that, and I think that that is an advanced way to look at practice it is like the things that take us into that being nobody like a dimmer switch like not necessarily like completely satori i'm suddenly nobody but you know and seva is an experience of that where um you know you go and you stretch across the, a divide and uh, like a, a social divide or a human divide and you go out of your way to to offer love to someone in a tangible way sometimes at your own expense sometimes at least at your own energetic expense without expecting reward which that's a whole other topic but because mm. um, there always is a reward but um it just in doing that it's sort of like uh i was just just listening to this Kabir poem that uh, that said, we come into this world with our fists clenched and we leave this world with our hands open. Mm. Referring to like a baby and a corpse, mm. mm -hmm. but also referring to the path of sadhana where, you know, like completely unevolved, we're just, this is me and this is how I am. And me, me, me the, that thing is like, it's opaque. And then, you know, gradually that, that loosens. And seva is like one of the deep practices that can allow us to, to, to sort of loosen that a, a little bit. And, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think we should um, 
elucidate becoming nobody a little bit, uh, you, which you've done to some degree. But uh, mm. you know, people, what do you mean becoming? You become nobody. What do you not? You do, yeah. sit there. There's not. You can't do anything because you're a nobody. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's uh, let's get to at least a um, on the ground kind of yeah. idea here, and that yeah. is that. What's happened is with becoming nobody is becoming less attached to who we think we are, less attached to our thoughts, less less attached to the neurotic tendencies and the habitual patterns. And the more that uh, or the (laughs) the more less attached that you can get or that happens because there's no getting, but there, as, uh, yeah. as you just said, David, absolutely sadhana practice allows yeah. for the spaciousness to happen where it, the, you unglue a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But so it's mm. becoming nobody is just not believing mm. in your story the way that you normally do. And, and mm. as that happens, as you do what Ramdas suggested in the film, which is, hey, when is enough enough? You know, of consuming and creating uh, mm. circles of defense me- mechanisms and cushy, making it, you yeah. know, so nothing bad's going to, all of that kind of uh, tunnel yeah. vision. So yeah. that's what we're talking about. Yes, ultimately, there is a thing of, there is a Neem Karoli Baba that's a realized being that is not involved in polarity. There's no us mm. and them. There's nothing. There's just uh, the yeah. the water <laughs> Yeah. And, and also like, you know, even that there then there is still a, a somebody at least enough to be a vehicle for grace in, in that sort of a case. And you know, like the the being nobody it might it, it's not that you're like literally like then blank. Yeah. You know, like my my I had the great good fortune of seeing my teacher um in South India on the, our last trip to India. Adriana and I went to talk to him and um, he just said this one offhand thing about Maya, like the notion of Maya or illusion. He's like, it's not Maya. We say illusion, but it's, it's not illusion. He's like, this is here. You're here. I'm here. This is, he was like tapping a chair or something. This is here. The illusion is the significance that we give to all of this. We can't say that all of this is not real. This is mm. real. What's re- what isn't real is the significance that we put yeah. onto it. And it's the same thing with the, like, you know, we're still going to, you know, our, our, our shoe size is not going to change. We're, and our shoe preference might not even change <laughs> much. <laughs> you know, one time years ago, I was working in Chicago. And I worked in this used bookstore. And it was one of these one of these scenes where, like, you know, a bunch of people would just hang out all the time. And there was an espresso machine, and we would just drink coffee and bullshit all the time. And um, they called me Gandhi because I was, like, the only one that was, like, into Eastern spirituality. They, they always called me Gandhi. Anyway, and there was this old lady who would, like, sweep up. And I think she made a living by going into a bunch of different shops in that area of Chicago and just kind of, like, sweeping up. And so she was always, she was there kind of sweeping up in the background and somehow we started bullshitting about astral projection. Mm. And have you ever done it? Have you ever experienced it? Oh, this time when I was on acid, yeah, this time, whatever. And just as she's sweeping, she looked up and she said, you know what though, whenever I come back, my clothes don't fit right. 
Oh, no. And then she just went back to sleeping again. That's she was just some cool. like old Chicago lady. Really? Oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, I haven't yeah. thought of that in years. But but you know, it's like that's the that's the thing and and like how to like hold and I believe that that's what true sadhana teaches us to do is not affect a spiritual persona but allow us to sort of spiritualize our persona in the sense of like, just like you're saying, just like not hold it so tightly and, and not believe it so fully, Yeah, you know, but then, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to like cop shows and you're going to like the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> and that does, that doesn't make us any less Satchitananda. It's just that that's how our little incarnational nugget is happens to be packed. You know, Are you kidding? I've got guilt. Like, you know, there's a you know who Larry David is, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Sure. Yeah, we I sure. think we even talk. Anyhow, there's one scene where he gets stoned. He's trying to help his father has glaucoma. So and he his father. So he gets him some to help glaucoma, which Pot apparently does. Anyhow, he says, "Well, Larry, you got to smoke." So Larry, oh, I don't want to do. You know, he's like a complete paranoiac, no matter what. So he does smoke, and he next scene he's in the bathroom, and he's yelling at <laughs> in the mirror, and he's, like, "What's wrong with you? Just watching TV all the time? Why don't you read a book?" <laughs> That's where I get to about halfway through the Super Bowl, uh, or whatever I'm watching. Yeah, you know, a lot of the I, I to me. When you talk about this chair, teacher said, this chair is real. It's not, Maya isn't that this, yeah. It's the relationship and the qualities. And to me, it's the projection, you know, of that we um, carry with us as we see objects and uh, including, of course, people and everything else, animals and absolutely everything. Ideas. Yeah. 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 And they're colored. Yeah. And that's another thing. That's why it, extricating from the story we believe in, or just even realizing, shit, I'm telling myself a bunch of shit. And I I have no real idea about these projections. Oh, wait a minute. So then mindfulness comes in, right? Mindfulness practices. So you could get an idea of yeah. what the motivations are, what it is you saw that color, that color made you go back to that mm. moment when there was, you know, mm. whatever it may be. Mm. So, yeah. And and that's also the birth of, you know, what we call the inner guru, where it's like, that's that part that's there. That's like, I remember um, the first time I ever met Ram Dass in person, it was in like 2005, and I was interviewing him for some Fakakta magazine <laughs> at the time that's now gone. But, um, and I asked him, well, what is your practice now? And he said, I sit and I look at the ocean and I am the ocean and I pay. And then he sort of like, he said, I pay attention to how things are playing in soul land is <laughs> the way that he said it. Really? And he said, so like right now, yeah. I could think, oh, I'm being interviewed for a magazine, like sugar plums. Like, he's like, but I have to be careful because this could be a trap and I, I could get trapped by this. And I, I thought that that was such a beautiful articulation of that. Like when we live with grace and we have a relationship with grace, we have a relationship with the guru tattva, the guru principle, 
then we have that internal guru that gives us that vigilance and, and can remind us. But here's the thing. I always like, especially as I'm training people to meditate. As soon as you meditate, then you've got the guru and the disciple. The disciple is, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to feel my breath. I'm going to do the mantra. And then the guru is the one that goes, hey, you fell asleep. Go back to the mantra. Mm. And what I always say is like, let that guru be the sweetest, most loving inner guru that you can have, where there's no spanking. It's, you know, no, like, what are you doing? You know, you came all this way for this thing. And now here you are falling asleep. Mm. It's like, it's like, come back, come back to bed. It's like a lover. It's like, you don't have to, you don't have to think about all that. Come Rama, Rama, that come back to that. You know, come back to bed. I'm not done with you yet. Like letting the inner guru be like that, even when we get into our own nonsensical <laughs> behavior, you know, like the Larry David moment, like, what are you doing? You know, like <laughs> you're like you're yelling at your kid. He's eight years old. What are you doing? You know, like it just be like, no, come on, come on, come on, yeah. Papa. You know, yeah. repeat the mantra, drink some water. You know, and, and the more that that loving uh, vibe can be there, at least for me and for a lot of people that I talk to, that transition of the tea bag, you know, in and out of incarnation into nothingness and back into somethingness and, you know, can, can be a lot more fluid mm. because we don't feel like we have to go to the woodshed and get, and yeah. get beat every time we fuck up. Mm. Oh, sorry, I don't know if I can use profane. Oh, my God, no. You'll get mail. It's very, very profane. Um, I would also add to this conversation that none of this is possible. The, the, the possibility of opening up a space where you're talking, when you're talking about inner guru, maybe I'd, put a little bit of the word intuition in there mm -hmm. that place where one knows without knowing mm. but mm. the perspective certainly has to be around where is where are you standing mm. are you standing up in here as, as Ram mm. Das would say mm. and mm. that's his whole loving awareness no, no stand mm. inside or sit inside yeah. that place which yeah. is not coming from mind. Because if it's coming from mind, you know, the, uh, he used to teach about the witness. But if that witness mm -hmm. is coming from a judgmental place, and that's basically what you're saying, this yeah. is a place of non-judgment. It's okay. Yeah. We're just human. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Just yeah. come back. You don't have to get out there and get the horsehair shirt and the, and the whips. Yeah. So... I, I think that yeah, from from whence we stand, if that's some kind of old English thing, uh, that is Definitely. super, super, super Definitely. important. What would you say though? Talk about um, and what you you tell students and so on, um, just around the concept of guru, and the con and you're introducing just have that inner guru is a non-judgmental, yeah. loving being. How do you relate that to the concept of, like Ramdas has said, I believe as well, everyone has a specific guru that doesn't necessarily manifest as a physical 
thing. Mm -hmm. it, well, Maharaji himself said it's not physical, yeah. but uh, but it is specific. So there's a kind of how do you how do you address that? Yeah. Um, well, I talk about you know in Hinduism, there's this idea of nirguna and saguna. Of a nirguna means without form, and saguna means with form. So, like Hindus, if they're saguni Hindus, then they have a particular form of God that they relate to, or the goddess, or that's saguna. And the nirguna is like the yogis relating to like Brahman, you know, just consciousness. Um, and the guru, you know, in tantra, what is referred to as guru tattva, the guru principle, um, it it can be both saguna or nirguna. And, you know, for many people, myself included, it's saguna to a point where, you know, you have a guru or you work with a guru and it can be a real guru or it can be a fake guru. Lots of people relate to the guru tattva through dongi gurus, you know, like gurus that might not actually, they might even be total charlatans. I mean, look at this whole thing that's happened with the Yogi Bhajan and, and all this. Um, but nonetheless, that guru tattva, that guru principle, that in, in uh, Tantra is referred to as uh, the Anugrahaika Shakti. It's the grace bestowing power of God is the guru. It's the fifth power of God in, in that system. And um, that some people have that and, and some people have and especially a lot of contemporary people in what I call, this is what I sometimes call the post-patriarchal guru paradigm, which is that, you know, very few of us, you know, in ancient times, there would only be one guru that was even possibly going to come into our karma in a lifetime because we lived in some place and there, if there was a master there or there wasn't a master there. And nowadays, many people are going to um, get the guru tattva almost like a nutrient from many different sources. And that the, it's trickier in some ways. And in some ways it's also liberating because with most guru scenes where there's an actual person there who is trying to be, or is said to be, or is the embodiment of the guru tattva, there's going to be a scene around them that is, you know, there's always a baby in a bathwater. And that, you know, so anyway, for me personally, at one point it was very saguna. And then at a certain point, it became very nirguna, where I can relate to that guru tattva. Um, and I love it when it manifests in a saguna form. I love Maharaji. I love you know, my teacher, when, you know, when we're, when we're in that vibe together and I have a great respect for all of the teachers that I've had, but at the same time, um, to not be bound, to not be bound by it, you know, perfect example are like Christians who you could say, they think of the guru tattva as only can be Jesus Christ. In Catholics, it has to be the Catholic Jesus. And, you know, Protestants, it has to be the Protestant Jesus, whatever. But it's like, clearly, as they tap into that, they're getting some of that juice. But then they're also getting all of the 
all the other stuff too. And so um, it's like, I talk about the guru, the guru tattva as like that principle of awakened energy that uh, we can tap into that is the principle of transformation. It really is the principle of annihilation, <laughs> but that like, it's, it's like, it's not, it's not self-improvement. <laughs> In other words, it's a force of that as Ram Dass would say, becoming nothing. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and the, you know, we have to be supremely creative today um, and open because it's not like we're running the show, but just like open for that guru tattva to come in different ways. Yeah. Yesterday. And I don't think, I don't think he'd mind me telling you, telling the story, but I ran into our friend, John. Yeah. And uh, we were at the skateboard park and we were, we were both punks back in the day. Well, I guess we still are, but <laughs> anyway, we were talking about punk rock music and I want his band to play at my 50th birthday party and all this stuff. And, he said, you know, the craziest thing happened. He said, I have this friend from back in the day. He was a crazy guy. He was like a crazy partier guy. I hadn't talked to him in years. And he called me up. This is John's telling the story. His friend calls him up and says, hey, John, I had this weird dream last night that uh, Ventura was on fire. There was an apocalypse or something. Ventura was on fire. And out of the flames came your guy. What's he called? Ramdas or, or something? That, that guy? He's like, <laughs> Ramdas? He's like, yeah, Ramdas came out of the fire. And he said, do you know John? And I said, yeah. And he said, I have a message for John. Tell John, you have to throw it or you'll never break it. And if you never break it, you'll never know how to fix it. Tell him that. Get out. And so, and so then John, this was a while, this was a long time ago. And then John says to me, he's like, I don't know what it means. He's like, I Googled it. You know, John, he's like a supremely like innocent sort of a, a person. He's like, I don't know what it means. But in that moment, that was what I needed to hear. This is just yesterday. No. And I was like, I understand it. I was like, that's a profound teaching about creativity and taking chances and, and, and like not living too carefully. And, and mm. it's like, you know, that when we're open in that way, mm. Mm. it's like John is so open that somebody that he hasn't talked to in years becomes an open vessel for grace to flow. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's it's like it, yeah. it boggles it boggles mm. the mind when we're open. How the guru tattva, it's actually ever present, and it's just the sadhaka's it's the sadhaka's tale, the sadhaka's uh, role to be more and more open to it. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, it's a okay. I've got a couple of things to say about that. <laughs> it's a uh, certainly it's a two way street. That being yeah. open is the thing that we can do, even though ultimately uh, there is, of course, uh, the non-duals who so say there's nothing to do. Well, yeah. doing what we are doing, doing some practice and remaining open, understanding every moment is filled with possibility. Mm. At the same time, the fact that John's old friend, so to me, you're talking about Guru Tattva and I'm mm. talking about Saguna. There is no mm. doubt in my mind, because mm -hmm. uh, uh, Ramdas, rather, there's nothing he's doing on his own. Zero. Yeah. Never did. 
I mean, obviously he did bullshit human stuff that he had to wake up from, you know, yeah. and that yeah. happened and he worked with it better than anybody in, in, that I ever saw, you know, mm. particularly a full on stroke where you almost die. Mm. Uh, but I know that this is nothing but Maharaji. So whoever that mm. old friend is and whatever he mm. needed because mm. Ramdas is that trusted factor uh, mm. for so many so many in the West and whatever mm. John, like just hearing that is a faith thing. Holy shit, how does this go? And then there's you. You got your own thing going. And to me- I know, And I immediately, you know, I feel like I shared it I shared it. I don't remember how, but like it, you know, like it, it, immediately it became something that was like a really important teaching for other people too, that are like within, within my, my sphere. It's so yeah, interesting. Yeah. Hey, how it works is phenomenal. Hey, I wanted to uh, talk about the St. Kabir actually, because mm, yeah. you, you brought it up and I know how uh, important a figure mm. he is. And I'll tell, I don't even know if you know this, but um, Maharaji quoted very few because mm. he just wasn't like that. He didn't teach. Yeah. So he wasn't going on about anything, yeah. but Kabir, mm. Kabir was right in there. And mm. uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, w tell us a little bit of yeah. Kabir's story because it's a great story with his guru and everything. You want to tell the story? Yeah, of, of well, you know, like you mean like Kabir's actual story yeah. about, about him? Yeah, who he is, when it was. I think it's what, yeah. what century, maybe 15th, yeah, 16th, uh, or something? 16th century. 16th. And, um, you know, the, the stories, the actual hagiography of him is like a little bit murky, you know, because, you know, how it is in India when there's a saint, then all of this masala gets put onto the story. But, you know, what, <laughs> what makes the most sense is that uh, he was born um, into a weaver family and, you know, families that make rugs and weave cloth and stuff like that. And, in Varanasi and generally those people were Muslim and also if Kabir was his birth name uh, that would typically be a Muslim name in, in that time so a lot of especially the Muslims say that he was born Muslim yeah you know then there's stories that you know he appeared in a giant lotus in a baby and was adopted by a Muslim family and whatever for you know like all of that masala goes on there but it just seems like he was a he was a young uh, a young a Muslim man who had a deep yearning and a deep mumukshutva, uh, uh, as it's called, like, you know, like really wanted to attain the truth. And um, so the story goes is that he wanted to take initiation with the Hindu guru uh, Ramananda. No, he wasn't Ramananda. No, I think that's true. It is Ramananda. Ramananda. Yeah. Maybe it was Ramananda. Yeah. I'm I'm blanking, but but anyway, with with a Hindu guru, and um and so what he did is he would go and he would sneak by the ashram, which was on the Ghat, which is these steps that go down into the river in Benares. In Benares, yeah, and uh, and he would go and he would sneak there, and he would you know whether he was like listening to teachings or he was just getting in the vibe or whatever it was. But the story goes that one day when he was there, uh, Ramananda went down for his bath and tripped on him and called out 
the mantra Ram Ram as he was, you know, trying to not to fall down the steps. And that Kabir considered that to be his initiation where he touched the guru's feet, you know, by the guru, like touching him with his feet. And then he got the mantra initiation. And, you know, you never know if these stories are historical or hysterical, but um, <laughs> it's a sweet story. But he became known as a great Nirguni uh, master who would... Uh, weave his cloth and sing these ecstatic poems and uh i would have to say he's a real cross right i mean he's yeah, totally yeah. that yeah near gunasaguna yeah yeah and and he's you know he would give these profound teachings in a poetic form and still to this day his poems are you know quoted by uh, great masters and just sung by school children. And, you know, it's, it's an omnipresent sort of part of the Indian culture now, but his teachings have some of the most profound non-dual teachings in them. Yeah. In but his poetry. Do you, uh, I don't know if you have it available uh, uh, to me. Well, it's the one that Maharaj used to quote. I walk through the town with, uh, all of its glory and objects, but none of it is, um, he's completely detached. Do you know that, mm. that one? I don't know it offhand, but you know, his, the number of, of different poems that are attributed to him now are, you know, like really myriad, but that mm. definitely sounds like a Kabir. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I should have been more prepared and gotten that one, but you know yeah. what guys, and gals, I'm going to get somebody to get. Well, we're going to. We're certainly going to introduce Kabir book that uh, people can access, and we're certainly going to have that particular quote that uh, I know uh, Neem Karoli Baba used to use about being in the marketplace but not of it. Mm. There's a, there's a great website too, if I can mention it. Yeah. Um, that came out of the Kabir project that happened a few years ago. And um, it's uh, it's a Hindi word. It's um, ajabshahar is dot com is it and and you know I can send you that link and you can put it yeah, in the definitely, notes or whatever. Definitely. But it has a massive catalog of Kabir's um, poems, like full poems and couplets. Um, you know the little short two line poems and. I don't even know how many videos of contemporary folk singers singing the music mm. and wow. beautiful translations and essays written about the poems. And uh, I actually, I actually have one that I can, I can read to Please. you if you're interested. And this is a very typical, this is a very typical uh, Kabir. Um, and what it says in English and I really trust the translations on here too, because of course in translations, there's always a fair amount of masala. It says, uh, your better days have passed away. You didn't seek your guru. Why regret it now when the birds have eaten your harvest? That's the opening Doha couplet. And then it says, stay awake. A thief will steal into your town. Stay alert. 
a thief will sneak into your town. A thief will come one day. Death will come. No swords, cannons, or arrows will fly. He won't fire a gun. You won't see him come or go. Inside you, he'll roam around. Stay alert. A thief will come. He won't wreck any fort, raise any castle. He won't show you his form. He has no use for your city. He'll catch only you and take you away. Stay awake. A thief will come. Your wealth and riches, goods and treasures will be left behind, all stashed away. Your family and friends, brothers and kin will be left, left behind to stand and stare. Stay alert a thief will come. Says Kabir, this land is deserted. No one here is yours. You came with your fist clenched, my friend. You'll go with your hands outstretched. Mm. Stay awake, a thief will come. That's so great. I never. And they say it. in India, like, yeah. like, like, what a, because, and, and this is the thing with so many of the great beings, this can be, he, all, he always talked about death. You know, the death will come. So like, do your thing now before you die. You know, one of his things says, uh, the clay says to the potter, you need me today. That's true. But one day, don't be mistaken. I'll be needing you. <laughs> Like the clay one day will be like on top of the potter, you know? So it, it's, it's a very simple message just about, you know, death, but for the Yogi who is seeking death in life, it's a poem about that too. Mm. And, and that like the thief then in that case, isn't the death, but the thief is ignorance. The thief is getting allured the thief is your ego's satisfaction it's not going to take anything from you it's going to be in you roaming around it doesn't care about any of your stuff it wants you it's so it's so and then it ends mm. with that thing you came mm. in with your hands clenched yeah. and you'll leave with them outstretched mm. again it's it's a double meaning it means it's talking about the corpse but it's also talking about the the yogi who at some point they're their hands are, they say that um, Bhagavan Nityananda never, it rarely closed his hands. And when you see pictures of him, his, his hands were always like this. It was some peculiar thing mm. uh, about him, but it makes oh. me think of that. Yeah. Wow. You got another one? Sure. This, this. I love, I love these uh, Kabir poems. I, I mean, or just ecstatic poetry from India is phenomenal. I know. And I then mean, the, and they turn it into bhajans too, uh, exactly. too, which are kirtan, repetition of God's name. Bhajan is a devotional poem set to music. Uh, there's incredible singers doing that. I know. And it's, it's so, it's like something that has not quite made its way into our, our Western, you know, we've, we've embraced the kirtan, but the bhajans, no, there's yeah. just so many great teachings and, you know, yeah. it's, 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 it's because of course people don't understand it and you don't have to have lyrics in front of you, but it's also because of uh, Indian music. These are all based on, even if they're folk tunes, they're, they're coming from ultimately from ragas and so on. And just, mm. you know, all the grace notes and the 
quarter and half, you know, all yeah. that half tones. It's hard for uh, Western ear, actually. Okay, so here's another one. This okay. one, uh, it says, and again, it starts with like a short thing and then it goes into the main thing. So the short thing says, the Sadhguru has explained this a thousand times. The short tail of a sheep can't help you cross the river. With a false front, you conned the world and didn't look into yourself. Kabir says, greed drags you into endless cycles of death. And then it goes, this is one of his scolding poems. And he says, leave your charades, give up your fake postures. Oh, mind, be true in your practice. Give up your phony errors. Oh, heart, be a real fakir, a real yogi. Hari isn't found by taking dips. Anyone can take baths. Fish bathe daily in the water, yet can't get rid of their smell. <laughs> Leave your charades. Hari isn't found by growing dreadlocks. Anyone can grow hair. Bears in the jungle have thick hair, yet roam around aimlessly. Leave your charades. Hari isn't found by shaving your hair either. Anyone can wield a razor. Cross-dressers shave off their hair, yet wander from door to door. Leave your charades, Kabir says. Listen, seekers. Listen with full attention. One who doesn't give up his errors gets hauled to the city of death. Leave your charades. <laughs> oh, God. That's a, you know who this – all of a sudden it occurs to me that uh, somebody who I love so much, a great teacher – uh, is uh, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche. I'm not sure. Mm, you, sure. You know, yeah, one of the great lamas of the last century. Uncompromising just like that. Mm, you yeah. really think you're going to wait? And, you know, you have all of these lovely, this lovely family and friends and your work, and then, bang, you're gone. You think mm. that mm. these people are going to give a shit about anything? Three weeks, mm. maybe, they'll think about you. That's it. <laughs> so do something to allow yeah. yourself to transition through the Bardos <laughs> properly. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, it's so, and, and when you hear... You know, we had a, a group of Kabir singers, uh, they're dear friends of mine from India, come through and they did a concert here in the house. And, um, you know, even though they speak very little English and my Hindi is almost functionally illiterate, I mean, like I could barely speak Hindi, um, bonding over some of these ideas it, it's like the deepest level that you can connect with another human being in a certain way. And there's just such, there's just such love that comes as a result of it. I mean, even though there's this imagery of death and you're going to get hauled to the city of death and, and all of that, it's like when we really enter into even like the charnel ground kind of meditation, the result is a lightness of heart and like an absence of bullshit that allows us to really love each other and let go of, of all the things that don't matter. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, the power of uh, ecstatic expression of mm. non-duality, right? Mm. Which is a bit of an oxymoron, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, to me, that I'm so 
I feel so uh, graced that we come out of that exactly that tradition. That's why Kabir was obviously Maharaji. Mm. You know, mm. I mean, it says like you go. We used to go in the gate of Kenchi to see him, and it says when it described, you know, this is the ashram of uh, Neem Karoli Hanuman Ashram. It was. Um, it said this is the non-dual Advait. It had Advait, which is highly mm. unusual, supposedly a completely, mm. Uh, mm. you know, bhakti yoga thing. No, there's no Advait. Yeah. But, but that's yeah. why Kabir represents that. That's the beauty, the real beauty. Yeah. I mean, because that's the thing with bhakti. Is it bhakti can, you know, when you're talking about like, where do we stand? Do we stand in the head or do we stand in the heart? Yeah. One way that we stand in the head is when we become religious or dogmatic. And, you know, there are a lot of bhakti traditions that are just religions and, and dogma. And, you know, like I've had so many arguments over the years with, you know, people that are like dualistic bhakti yogis about the idea of like merging with God. It's like, no, there's no merging. It's like, no, you're not Krishna. I was like, yeah, no, actually, I am Krishna. So are you? <laughs> no, no, I'm not Krishna. Krishna is, is supreme. Well, yeah, Krishna is supreme, and and so are we. And, but we're just showing up like these two schmucks talking about Krishna right now. But that's the and and that's the profound thing about your lineage in particular is that it's really um, it's really uh, radically non-dual in the sense that it's both. Non-dualistic, ultimately, but also embraces all the saguna stuff and and all of the, all of the the technically dualistic stuff too. I was talking with um, Locke Kelly. Do you know Locke? Yeah, uh, yeah, I love yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, me too. I was talking to him, and for a while, I was, I was, uh, he was my therapist for a minute when we were in New York, and it was so cool. And I just remember telling him, "It's like, yeah, I get, I get non-dual thing." I just love Bandaras. <laughs> you know, like, I get the non-dual thing, yeah. but I just mm. love, you know, Hanuman and, you know, like crying and like, like even in Tukram Maharaj, one of the Maharashtran saints used to say, yeah, I, I built my house in the void. That was one of his poems. And Maharashtran Abanga, the word, the, the, the bhajans. And one of his things is I, I built my house in the void. It's such a beautiful Abanga, I wish I had a translation of it right here, but he said, but I love to be in duality just so that I can worship the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it just, because it's so sweet. And, and then in bhakti, even the pain of separation becomes this mm -hmm. wonderful currency, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what exactly. I, that's what I love about what has come through Maharaji because it, it, it has all of it. Yeah. And, you know, it mm -hmm. totally welcomes the person that is a total dilettante and just wants to have like a Hanuman sticker on their car or whatever and <laughs> have a little bit of, you know, spiritual taste in their life. Totally welcome. And, and it also welcomes uh, the Ram Das and the Raghu and the and the deep, the deep yogis as well. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. <laughs> hey, All in one satsang. Yeah. Hey, um. How about, because I know you are talking to and teaching meditation in all of mm -hmm. this, and I thought maybe you could, uh, could you just lead a, you know, a couple of minute little thing 
uh, that would be good. And I say not just because we're at the end of the podcast, but also uh, we're in times when there is such mm. fireballs that get thrown mm. at us and the instant reactivity is so large mm. in so many ways, even if you're not even mm. going any place, you know, that one moment when the mm. frustration level just reaches its breaking point. Mm. How can we just, uh, yeah, take us through a, a, a something yeah. that we uh, yeah, 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 that yeah. we can repeat for ourselves in moments yeah. such as that? Yeah. yeah. Just looking across my space here at my puja and looking at Maharaji, actually, and just listening. Mm. So if we just close our eyes and or just soften our eyes even, relax into the space where we're sitting and take some, take some breaths that are sweet, sweet and sweet energetically. The message that I'm getting is to just feel inside and feel any way in which we are clenching ourselves in any way that we're punishing ourselves. Anything that we need to forgive ourselves for in this moment. And just let those things go completely and let ourselves be loved. Take away all, all charges are dropped. All chains are released. And just let ourselves be loved the way that we deserve to be loved. That was it. That was what he said to do. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> Wonderful. I like, yeah, all the charges are dropped. Uh, that was, that's Finished. a good one. <laughs> uh, yeah because we have we have uh, enough things on top we have enough things to actually deal with and then we put so many trips on ourselves and hold ourselves so in in jail you know yeah yeah, yeah. no the judgmental level of our minds is extraordinary yeah. extraordinary yeah. thank you so much Harsha. Thank you, Raghu. Keep up the good work. And hopefully uh, we'll see each other in, yeah. in in the flesh before too long. Yeah. We live like seven minutes from each other. It's sick. <laughs> well, we're getting there. I think we're going we're moving in the right direction. Sure. So yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, everybody, so everything we've been talking about will be available and linked up in the show notes and uh, including access to David's work, Harshad's work. And uh, uh, yeah. one of the things I did during COVID is I started uh, a little 
independent uh, guided meditation platform. It's called the Big Heart Meditation Club. Oh, great. And it's, you know, 10 bucks a month and you can try it out for free. And it's just got a bunch of my guided meditations on there that mm. people can access. All kind of different ones. Oh, great. I'll have to record that one and put it on there. Okay, great, 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 great. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll also make one little uh, announcement that I haven't made before on behalf of uh, Love Serve Remember Foundation. We're putting out, because we were talking about music and we are talking about kirtan and mm. bhajan and uh, devotional poetry. And so Krishnadast and I, many, many years ago, recorded our mentor, K.K. Shah, who really was... Uh, tantamount to much of what you hear uh, from Jai Gopal and Krishnadas and, and so on. I mean, he just is so important to us. He left about a year ago, uh, right after Ramdas. So we're putting it out. We're putting the a digipack out. It'll be downloads and all that stuff. Uh, and by the time this uh, podcast appears, it will be available, and you can go look at uh, ramdas.org uh, into the shop or the store, yeah. And uh, I'll have to, uh, yeah, you, I think, will appreciate it most especially, yeah. David, yeah. So good to elevate these OGs, you know, the, like, Indians that, that we get this stuff from. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's a bunch of my life work, actually, uh, movies that we're creating around just these people. Uh, yeah. So, well, thank you again. Well, God bless you, Raghu. Thank you. And everybody, we'll see you again on Mind Rolling. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and catch all of the incredible. We have this great thing from Ramdas and Alan Watts in one podcast that's up there now, by the way. Check it out. See you later. See you next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye.